Chapter Twenty Three of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter Twenty Three: The Awakening. It was a wilful, changeable April's last night, and being in a tender, reminiscent mood, she dispensed her balmiest airs for the benefit of the distinguished company who filled to overflowing the gymnasium of Sanford High School, prepared to dance her last hours away. For the heroes and heroines of fairy tale renown had apparently left the books that had held them captive for so long, and jubilant in their unaccustomed freedom, promenaded the floor of the gymnasium in twos, threes, or in whole companies. Simple Simon, whose tall, lank figure bore a startling resemblance to that of the crane, paraded the floor, calm and unafraid with none less personage than the terrible bluebeard hansel and gretel immediately formed a warm attachment for jack and jill and the quartet wandered confidently about together little miss muffet in spite of her reputed daintiness clung to the arm of the bearskin who despite the fact that his furry coat was that of a buffalo instead of a bear was a unique success in his line one suspected, too, that the brave little tailor, whose waistcoat bore the modest inscription, Seven at one blow, and who tripped over his longsword at regular two-minute intervals, had an impish, freckled countenance. The straight, lithe figure of the youth with the magic fiddle reminded one of Lawrence Armitage, while his constant companion, Aladdin, a sultan of unequalled magnificence, had a peculiar swing to his gait that reminded sharp-eyed observers of Hal Macy. The four fat friars loomed large and grey, and fanned imaginary flies with commendable energy, while Snow White, accompanied by her faithful dwarfs, made a radiantly beautiful figure and was greeted with ejaculations of admiration wherever she chose to walk. There were kings and courtiers, queens and goose-girls. There were jesters and princesses, old witches and fairies. Mother Goose was there. So were Jack Horner, Bo Peep, Little Boy Blue, and many more of her nursery children, not to mention two fearsome giants, at least ten feet high, whose voluminous cloaks concealed figures which appeared far too tall to be true. Rapunzel trailed about on the arm of her prince, her beautiful hair, which looked suspiciously like nice new rope, confined in a braid at least three inches wide and hanging gracefully to her feet. Cinderella came to the party in her old kitchen dress, accompanied by her fairy godmother and beauty was attended by a strange being clad in a huge fur robe and a papier-mâché tiger's head, which was immediately recognised as the formidable beast. The gallery of the gymnasium was crowded with the friends and families of the maskers who were admitted by tickets, a limited number of which had been issued. When the first notes of the grand march sounded, there was a great craning of necks and a loud buzz of expectation as the gaily dressed company formed into line, 
and while the brilliant procession circled the gymnasium a lively guessing went on as to who was who in fairyland mother goose led the march with the brave little tailor who frisked along in high glee and executed weird and wonderful steps for the edification of his aged partner and the rest of the company in general isn't it great though commented aladdin to his partner who was none other than snow white i know who you are i'm sure i do if i guess correctly will you tell me snow white nodded her curly head all right here goes you are marjorie dean i'm so glad you guessed right the first time declared snow white in a muffled voice from behind her mask i've been perfectly crazy to talk to someone it's a gorgeous party isn't it hal the nicest one the sanford girls have ever given the boys returned hal macy warmly you'll give me the next dance won't you marjorie of course acquiesced marjorie i think the grand march is going to end in a minute she danced the first dance with hal after that the youth with the magic fiddle claimed her and when he asked in a tone of deep concern when do you think constance will be home marjorie she had no difficulty in recognizing lawrence armitage i don't know lorry she said rather confusedly i i haven't heard from her she wrote me one letter declared lorry gloomily i answered it but she hasn't written me a line since then you know began marjorie but she did not finish know what asked lorry impatiently nothing was the answer that's just it exclaimed the boy i know exactly nothing about constance i thought you'd be sure to know something just then the dance came to an end jack and the beanstalk clad in doublet and hose and decorated with long green tendrils of that fruitful vine his famous hatchet slung over his shoulder by a stout leather thong claimed her for the next dance and she had no time to exchange further words with lorry the moment of unmasking was to follow the ninth dance the eighth was just about to begin marjorie caught sight of a huge lumbering figure in princely garments heading in her direction and turning fled toward the dressing-room she was quite sure of the prince's identity which was that of a youth whom she particularly disliked just as she reached the sheltering door a familiar voice called out in a low cautious marjorie turning she saw a stout grey-robed friar hurrying toward her i've hunted all over for you declared the friar in jerry's unmistakable tones come into the dressing-room someone is waiting to see you there waiting to see me exclaimed marjorie in surprise that's what i said come along jerry caught her arm and pulled her gently into the dressing-room at one end of the room stood the dingy figure of cinderella deep in conversation with her fairy godmother at the sound of the opening door cinderella wheeled and with a quavering little cry of marjorie ran forward to meet the newcomers 
Marjorie stopped short and stared unbelievingly at the shabbily clothed figure. But Cinderella had now torn off her mask and was fumbling with trembling eagerness in the pocket of her apron. Here it is, Marjorie, dear. I never dreamed you had one like it. No wonder you felt dreadfully that day. Look at it. She thrust a small glittering object into Marjorie's limp hand. Marjorie regarded the object with a look of growing amazement, which suddenly changed to one of alarm. "'It isn't mine,' she gasped. "'It's exactly like it except for one thing. "'Mine has no pearls here.' "'She touched the tips of the golden butterfly's wings. "'Oh, Constance, can you ever forgive me?' "'The pretty butterfly pin slipped from her lax fingers "'and Marjorie burst into tears. "'Don't cry, Marjorie.' said Jerry with unusual gentleness. You didn't know. It was just one of those miserable misunderstandings. Constance wants to tell you about the pin. But how? Where? quavered Marjorie. Oh, I had an idea that there was some kind of misunderstanding, so I wrote Constance and asked her to come home as soon as she could, explained Jerry. Her father gave me her address. She was coming home next week anyhow, but I wrote her again and asked her to get here in time for the dance. The minute I saw that butterfly pin, I asked her straight out and out where she got it. She told me, and then I knew that the thing for me to do was to bring you two together. She only came home last night, so we had to plan a costume in a hurry. You haven't said a word about her fairy godmother either. "'Take off your mask, dear fairy godmother.' "'Armour!' cried Marjorie as she glimpsed a laughing face. "'Oh, it's too wonderful!' She wound two penitent arms around Constance and kissed her. "'I guess that will settle Mignon,' commented Jerry in triumph. "'It's a shame, but I suppose your butterfly pin is really lost. Constance will tell you the history of hers.' I wish the bracelet problem could be solved too, sighed Constance. Jerry tells me that Mignon is going to accuse me of taking it when I go back to school. How can she be so cruel? I don't remember seeing it in the dressing room on the night of the Western dance. But I do, called out a positive voice that caused them all to face the intruder in astonishment. A slim, pale-faced girl dressed as a shepherdess, emerged from behind a curtain which hung in a little alcove at one end of the dressing room. "'Please excuse me for listening,' apologised the girl. "'I was standing here looking out of the window when you girls came in and began to talk. Before I could make up my mind what it was all about, I heard Miss Stevens talking about Miss LaSalle's bracelet and the western dance.' "'Did Miss LaSalle accuse you of taking her bracelet that night?' "'She asked, her eyes upon Constance. "'Yes,' began Constance. "'She—' "'Miss LaSalle is the real thief,' interrupted the girl dryly. "'I saw her take off her bracelet and lay it on the dressing table. "'I saw her come and take it away after Miss Stevens left the room.' I had to catch the last train home that night. 
You know, I don't live in Sanford, and I was sitting over in one corner of the dressing-room, behind a chair putting on my shoes. Neither Miss Stevens nor Miss LaSalle saw me. I wondered what Miss LaSalle meant by doing as she did, but I never understood until this minute. I'm glad I happened to be there that night, and I'm glad I happened to be here now. If there is likely to be any trouble, just send for me. I'm Edna Halstead, of the junior class. The four girls had received this rapidly repeated information with varying degrees of amazement. It was Marjorie who first sprang forward and offered her hand to Edna Halstead. It is the last word we needed to clear Constance, she asserted joyously. Will you go to Miss Archer with us on Monday? I should be glad to do so. I never could endure that LaSalle girl, was the frank response. We'll go together, planned Jerry. Every one of you meet me in Miss Archer's living room office on Monday morning before school begins. I must go home now, demurred Constance. I don't wish anyone to know that I've been here. Not even Laurie? asked Marjorie slyly. He spoke of you tonight. Constance smiled. You may tell him after the home sweet home waltz. There goes the music for the ninth dance, informed Jerry, who had stepped to the door. Oh, gracious, I promised this dance to Hal. I can't go. I simply must hear about the pin, Connie. I'll tell you just one thing about it, stipulated Constance. But the rest must wait until tomorrow, for Hal is too nice a boy to leave without a partner. Then tell me that one thing, begged Marjorie. My aunt sent me the pin, was the quick answer. Now kiss me good night and hurry along to Hal. And Marjorie kissed her and went with happiness, singing joyfully in her heart. End of chapter 23 Recording by Ashley Jane